0: Right. And then also in taking a look, you know, when with policing sin. Why do we even, I mean, I've I've said this about all kinds of sin, but particularly, you know, the, the view of homosexuality. Sure. Why do we spend as Christians, why do we spend so much time on um, policing sin, other people's sin? You know, we have enough. Uh, to place our own sin and to you know to take care of our own inner inner lives and outer lives that uh, why do we put that kind of energy and time into policing others particularly when we're looking at, at homosexual
1: my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and I'm your host. And this is episode number 138. And it's hard to believe, right? I mean, 138 episodes. And one, I guess we do like what one every week. And then last year for Easter, we did... We did a marathon. We did one for, let's see, we did one on Monday, like normal. Then we did a Monday-Thursday episode, a Good Friday episode. We did a, a silent Saturday episode. And then we did a Easter Sunday episode. And then we did another episode on Monday. We we went nuts. Uh, but yeah, we haven't taken a break. 138 episodes. So about hundred and thirty two-ish weeks, I guess, and uh, we're just rolling. And today is no different. Today we have a really, really good conversation. Uh, We're we're talking to Dr. Kim O'Reilly, and she wrote a book that I have right in front of me, right here. You can hear the the pages swiping through the air. The name of the book is We Love You, But You're Going to Hell. (laughs) Oh man, when I read that title, I laughed. Just like I just did. And then the subtitle is Christians and Homosexuality Agree, Disagree, and Take a Look. And this is a really good book and a very, very unique perspective. Uh, What what this book attempts to do, what Kim attempts to do, is to create dialogue. Um, There's often very little room for disagreement uh, with this topic. And whenever there is disagreement, there's always, there's always judging, right? There's calling into question people's faith or their motives. And it's just really hard to have a, a dialogue. And so what, what Kim attempts to do is to bring both sides together to talk. Because isn't that like what we're lacking? We're, we're not good at that as, as Christians. You know, I was raised in the evangelical church. I talk about this in the episode, but I feel like coming out of seminary, I knew very well how to defend my point against you who disagree, but I wasn't very equipped to have a conversation with you who disagree, and come out of the other end of that conversation still being able to talk to you and look at you as a human being. Uh, there's this, there's this, there's this feeling that we've got to be right and we've got to prove the other person wrong, and so Kim takes a different approach, and shows us how to have a dialogue with somebody who thinks drastically differently than we do. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, I think it's going to give you some, as it did for me, some tools for your tool belt as you go into the world and have these discussions with church people, family members at the Thanksgiving table. It's always awkward when a, a conversation like this comes up. But Hopefully, you will have some tools for your tool belt for future uh, conversations. A couple of things. Uh, real quick, number one, Patreon. Patreon.com slash project is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, that's uh, a place where you can go and show a little extra love. Anywhere from $3 a month up to $30 a month, and every tier gets its own reward. The one tier that I'm most excited about, there's two. I'm going to share them with you really quick uh, number one is the twelve dollar tier twelve dollars a month gets you into the marco polo heretic club we have about 20 20 19 or 20 people in there i'd say about 12 to 15 are, are fairly active on a regular basis and we just send video chats back and forth All throughout the week and sometimes there'll be like a hundred videos in there so it gets a little excessive sometimes but it's just people sharing about life sometimes people talk while they're cooking dinner sometimes people log on at a break in a break from from at work just to share how their day is going uh we've had people cry on there before uh sharing really emotional things uh people laugh but it's just a place if you're looking for community it's a good thing uh, you, we really have developed some deep relationships in there. and people have made the comment multiple times like this is my church. Like we actually feel that close to each other where it feels like some something regarding church is going on. And it's really, really exciting. And I'm not even as active as I'd like to be. Um, you know, working full time, doing the podcast. Uh, I' got a wife, I've got a daughter. It's hard sometimes to log on there as much as I'd like, but whenever I do, man, I'm encouraged to see, to see the chatter, to see the things being shared. It's really, really good. So go check it out, uh, Patreon.com/slash WhatIfProject. Then the thirty-dollar tier, a little bit higher, but there's a few people there, and what that tier gets is every quarter, I contact one of our podcast guests, and I ask him or her or them. Uh, if they would be willing to do a video chat with me and those patrons. Uh, so for instance, in March, we're sitting down with Jay Baker, uh, who is the, the son of uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. He was on the podcast last summer, and he's going to be just sitting down with us, not recording anything, just answering people's questions about their questions about God or faith or even questions they have about his story. And he's going to open up with that group and dialogue with us. And it's going to be really, really, really wild. So I'm excited about that. Uh, And we have some other guests lined up for the uh, future uh, events, I guess you can call it. Uh, So good stuff. Patreon.com slash whatifproject. Also, uh, buymeacoffee.com slash whatifproject. If the whole monthly giving thing isn't your thing, totally get it. Uh, I have enough subscriptions between the... Disney app and Hulu and all the different things, Canva to make the graphics for the uh, social media and stuff like that for the podcast. Microsoft Word has a subscription. Now there's so many subscriptions, so many. And so if that's not your thing, uh, buy me a coffee. You can make a one time contribution. So maybe an episode really strikes you. You're like, man, that was good. You know, I really like to take Glenn out for coffee, but I can't because I don't live near him, or we're in the midst of a pandemic, so it doesn't really work, uh, but I'd love to do that. So I'm going to throw $5 at this episode, or $10, or $20, or whatever you want, uh, a one-time contribution. So buymeacoffee.com slash project. And lastly, the Heretic Club, or the Heretic Club, sorry, the Heretic Shop. The Heretic Shop is a place to go to buy some hoodies. There's some new designs there, hoodies, t-shirts, sweatpants. I'm actually wearing this sweatpants right now. And they're super comfortable. Like They're my favorite pants I have. I've worn them for like three days in a row. I'm working from home. And so that's something that I get to do It's just wear sweatpants. And so they are super comfortable, super soft. Uh, But go check it out. Uh, The Heretic Shop. I'll put all the links to all the things in the show notes. And special music today is from my friend Will Rutherford. Uh, Good guy doing good things in the world, singing really good songs. Head over to iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, all the places. Download his music share his music, and blast his music from your speakers. So all of that to say, my friends, uh, again, this is episode number 138, and it's my conversation with the one and the only Dr. Kim O'Reilly. Enjoy.
2: When you've been cast out, when you are filled with doubt, there is hope pain. day.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today we're sitting down with my friend Dr. Kim O'Reilly to talk about her book, We Love You But You're Going to Hell, and it's subtitled uh, Christians and Homosexuality, Agree, Disagree, Take a Look. And so Kim, uh, thanks for dropping by. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Well great, Um, thank you for the welcome and I'm I'm happy to be here and um, I'm glad for the opportunity.
1: Thank you. So after reading the book, I think the Maybe the best way to frame our conversation is to maybe have you tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, some of the highs and the the lows and the things that brought you to where you are into the work that you're doing.
0: Well, that's a big question. I was, <laughs> of I course, if <laughs> I can condense that into about about three or four minutes worth, but perfect. But uh, yes, uh, in my journey, uh, I am a daughter of a uh, conservative. Minister, he was a Lutheran minister um, for quite a few years, and then evangelical after that. And um, I grew up in a very conservative home. Actually, disagreeing probably with quite a bit of what I was raised with, but mm. no antagonism. And um, I learned to hear all kinds of viewpoints. And um, as I realized when I was in my teens that I was a lesbian, you know that that began to take a shift for me on. Mm at some things and that i'll go into more later but i i um got married to, to a man and had um, two, two wonderful, wonderful sons, and mm. I'm now no longer married, but but um, I've also gone on to get my degree to become a teacher and uh, did that in history and in geography. I was a social studies teacher. Then I went on to get my master's degree in multicultural ed mm. education, and then from there, a PhD in education, curriculum, and instruction, and my area of specialty is to train teachers and then beyond that particularly in diversity inclusion issues and look at the cultures that teachers and people in businesses other other uh, majors on um, what those cultures might be in their workplace hmm. and, and how to understand and and how to have uh, compassion and empathy for hmm. those who are quote different than ourselves
1: that's awesome so do you work with uh, you work with schools now
0: um yes well I had up until (laughs) up
1: until COVID COVID, of course (laughs)
0: that's changed that's changed a lot because at this stage obviously uh, many are doing online teaching or they're anyway it's it's much different uh, atmosphere at this stage but hopefully as things start to calm down I will get back into that but I do consult with teachers and also have done uh, work in um, churches which that has also been more to a minimum obviously with a lot of churches not being open but speaking you know at churches on on some of these issues as well
1: sure now you said that you um came out as a lesbian when you were a teen is that correct did i hear that right uh,
0: no i didn't come out until my early 30s I oh, okay i Got had you. some inkling but really no point of reference understand. When i understand yes
1: yep.
0: in conservative uh environment so it was something that i really didn't come to full recognition until my, my early thirties.
1: Gotcha. Now when you did, you said that your father was is a or was a conservative minister. Um, how was that what did that do to your relationship with him?
0: Um, yes, and that I, and I devote a chapter in my book yeah. on it uh, because this was pivotal as far as uh, how I proceeded. Obviously, from there, I happened to still live in my hometown with my young sons when I did come out. Mm. And um, it, it there was a, a point of departure, let's put it this way, as far as with my father for almost a year, actually. Mm did not speak to me and um, wanted to argue about the scriptures and but prior to this we had a, a very close relationship and after the initial shock and um, condemnation we we ended up actually restoring over time our our relationship as well and that's part of what i'm writing about in my book and mm. how to move through that but um, also not knowing what's going to come at, at the other end or no, no prediction on, on how, that, how that plays out necessarily,
1: necessarily. I think on your book, I just flipped open to that chapter and uh, page 19, you say that he tearfully asked you to forgive him. I'm sure that was uh, a, yes, that, yeah.
0: Yes, that was about 20 years later. Um, mm. uh, just actually, the year before his death, he, he hadn't been ill or anything, but we had, we had an opportunity to spend some time together back in his his hometown um, out in Oregon at the time, and and um, it was just something that he shared with me, and it it meant the, obviously meant the world to me. And I know I had an opportunity that many people don't have um, who are in Christian, conservative Christian families and who are gay or lesbian. And uh, my, my father didn't change his mind. And he let me know that he still believed it was a sin. Sure. And But yet um, didn't want to make a judgment one way or the other on what would happen you know, for, my, for me in eternity.
1: What a, what a blessing that would be left with that, I would think, anyway, with that memory of your, of your father, because like you said, there's so many people and they've been on, a, been on the podcast before who have much different stories in regards to their family, just people who have never, you know, it's been 10, 15, 20 years since they've spoken to their, their family because the conversation didn't go very well at all.
0: Right. Or yeah. or also even mistreatment in in, in addition to um, yeah. not going well. And, yeah. and I have um, utmost um, sympathy and empathy. And, and mm. that's a lot what I talk about in my consulting and, and speaking that I do as well. Yes.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to get your perspective on, I mean, you talk about it a little bit in the book, we kind of went back and forth with it through email a little bit, but is the phrase, uh, love the sinner and, and hate the sin. Because more than like anywhere else, I hear that phrase used in reference to the LGBTQ community in the church. Like, we, we love you, but we hate your sin. And, and this sort of makes this like giant assumption that being LGBTQ is a sin, which is usually argued by using uh, the, the, the clobber passages in the Bible, and therefore kind of gives people the right to you know hate that thing about you while insisting that even though I hate part of you, I can still love all of you. And that's always made very, very little sense to me. But Sometimes when I have a conversation with my more conservative uh, friends and they bring up that phrase, I find it very hard to kind of unearth and and help them see why that that phrase can be so problematic. So I was wondering if maybe as an LGBTQ person, you could talk to us a little bit about what your perspective is regarding uh, that phrase.
0: Well, Glenn, thank you for bringing this up and, and telling me, you know, of your experience with the phrase on um, because, yes, it is so true that that it means so many different things to the listener and to the speaker. Yeah, um, love the sin or excuse me, love the sinner, hate the sin. Hmm. Um, it, it's it comes across, and I know this may you know, seem obvious to you and part of your audience, as it comes across as very condescending mm-hmm. uh, to you that, that, okay, I'm still going to grant you some sort of acceptance or be nice to you, but I'm still standing back in my judgment and I see, see you as a sinner and uh, basic bottom line we're all sinners if 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 we want to really talk about that um and whether or not we label this as a sin is the major question and Mm -hmm. that's what my book does does delve into looking at the scriptures looking at what someone believes about sexual orientation and um it's something that's that's standing apart and putting um, homosexuality at kind of a top of a hierarchy of sins to say, okay, this is worse than other sins.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and it, that's something that I address in, in a lot of my, my speaking, but as well as in my book, mm-hmm. is that it's it's easy for someone to, to just throw that out. And um, I, it's almost a little bit lazy to be, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm to say that because it just lumps this all together and kind of just says okay I'm, I am going to qualify my love and acceptance of you but I'm going to go ahead and let you know that I think it's sin and so it, it just has a lot and I know you brought this out too is it has a lot of different meaning for so many and for the most part it is it is hurtful or at the very least, it's judgmental and condescending when somebody speaks that, even if they think they have a a good intent.
1: I think for me, like growing up, I went to a private Christian school from the fourth through 12th grades and uh, anything related to LGBTQ was just seen, no question asked, sin and the person is a sinner and they're most likely going to hell. Like that was my, that was the way I was taught about it. But then when I got to Bible college, I was introduced to the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that for me, Was almost, I guess, like a a progressive way to think about it, just because of what I had been taught in the past. Like, all of a sudden, that kind of opened the door to the fact that maybe this person isn't going to hell. They're just struggling with something. But then, when I got to seminary and I started to really kind of drill down into that, it became so problematic for me because I thought to myself, well, what, like you said, why is that like a top tier sin? Like, why isn't, why don't we talk about any other? Quote sin in the same way. Like, why could there be a pastor who's struggling with lust or a pastor who, um, you know, is super, like, is always gossiping or they're doing something, but they're allowed to stand in the pulpit and preach on Sunday, and we can hate that sin and still love them, but the LGBTQ person, they're not even like allowed to take communion in some instances like it just didn't make any sense to me
0: right and and that is something that that is so unfairly dealt out um right because again sin is sin and if if truly somebody wants to believe that homosexuality is sin why is it treated so much differently than like you just said than other sins yeah it just puts it just puts people in an awkward position and in again a condescending kind of position and um it and that's why the title of my book we love you but you're going to hell is that showing that dichotomy okay yeah we're talking about love but we're also talking about either sin or condemnation and it's almost schizophrenic when you when you think about it okay yeah we be glad we love you but okay you need to change your life you need to not be with who you are with you need to not love who you love Mm -hmm. and um, it's something that really, truly does impact someone who does take that, you know seriously when, when they hear that. And it's kind of kind of something that just it's like taking your fingernails to a chalkboard <laughs> when, <Right. laughs> when someone who is, is gay hears that. I mean, it doesn't bother me anymore because it, I've gotten to a point in my life when those kind of phrases don't affect me, but I understand for many that that it's still, you know, pretty pretty raw.
1: Sure. Now we talk about the the clobber passages, and obviously, in your book, you go through each one of those. Would you be comfortable talking us through one of them if I just picked one?
0: Um, sure, sure. And I have just just um, as a form, uh, point of reference, I have the seven that are listed, you know, right here in front of me as well. The seven scriptures. Okay. So, could you- you could choose any, any one of those. I know there's the, the most popularized is the Genesis you know story with a lot, but, but anyway, you could choose. Go ahead. Yeah. I
1: think because one of the ones that a lot of times people ask me about a lot of our listeners is the one in Romans, uh, mm-hmm. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, let's see, here it is in your book. Um, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust toward one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due." And so kind of the thing that people always ask me is, well, isn't that saying right there that like, um, for a man to be with a man is evil and a woman to be with a woman is evil? And that's the one that I always get stuck up on and trying to explain. Like, I feel like I, I somewhat understand it in my head, but trying to explain it to somebody, I get all garbled up. So maybe you can help us with that one.
0: Yeah, no, and that, that's excellent. Because again, that is one, obviously, that is often often quoted. Yeah, And, and um, a, a big part of this is taking a look and at, um, at the cultural context is specific. Mm. Specifically, specifically who Paul was addressing, and in looking at what was happening at that time in in Rome, and uh, the the sexual, let's um, say, um, just permissiveness that mm. was and it was predominantly with males that um, he was addressing and he, he I mean, he did refer to females that were doing some of these things as well mm. but we're looking at um, t- types of temples, sexual rituals that were occurring that were pagan. We're looking at pederasty which is males dominating young boys and having sexual relations with them. We're looking um, at anything that was um, un ungodlike or unchristlike christlike and uh, just just a free-for-all perversion mm. and, and, and sex. And then there's all kinds of things that are lumped into the rest of that scripture that's given there in Romans, but people like to cherry-pick and like to say, okay, it's just men with men, women with women. And uh, so, so again, somebody may be listening to me and saying, hey, you know what, your argument just isn't sound enough, and I still believe that that scripture says that it's, it's sin. Well, anyway, that's someone's right to go ahead and interpret it that way. Mm. Um, We all have to make that decision for any scriptures that we that we do read. But if my book talks about this and looking at various translations, and the different nuances that come out from those translations in the Bible for each of these scriptures, and what i just challenge anyone who reads my book or anyone who is listening to to your podcast is to go back and look at those scriptures themselves and study them and and decide for yourself and and then how how you treat those that you disagree with then becomes another question which is something we can still you and i can still talk about here in a few minutes
1: i think for me like you said going back and looking at the verses for yourself when i when i did that that was a very eye-opening and challenging experience for me because again, like I was always taught to read them in one specific way. But I think once I started to dig into the context a little bit, dig into the background a little bit, look at the, the verse and the context of the whole letter, perhaps that the author was was writing or that the, that the book uh, contains, I really started to realize that like a lot of, especially in the New Testament, a lot of the verses are referring to almost like Paul is writing about a, a sexual ethic, as opposed to sexual rules or laws. Like you said, it's, you know, a lot of the problems then were about uh, sexual permissiveness and a lot of stuff going on in the temple with uh, you know, certain orgies and things going on and there was pedophilia involved. And I think like, that's the kind of stuff that Paul seemed to be writing about, not uh, homosexuality or LGBTQ as we would think about it today.
0: Right. And and there was no concept of quote homosexuality as as loving relationships. And when we're looking at at same sex um, homoerotic practices that were occurring that had nothing to do relationally, um, and that were all forms of exploitation. And um, and having you know, and even looking at gang rape was another thing that was occurring at the time. And so, so Paul making the statements that he made uh, when I read this makes a lot of sense based on what was happening at the time. And then even if someone again wants to say, okay, but Paul specifically forbade uh, same-sex types of relationships—women, women, men, and men. Um, even then, he also said other things that people do not do not adhere to today. For example, you know, women and men sitting apart from each other in in church services, or the fact that women should wear head coverings. Right. Um, that's just a couple examples of what we have decided. Okay, yeah, Paul said that, but we still we still go ahead and um, you know don't don't necessarily continue to practice those things that he is warning warning us about. So so it's it's just something again, exception so often is being made specifically for the sin of homosexuality and where people are looking. You know for those scriptures to to condemn. And there's a whole other theory on why people have such an intensity about deciding, okay, something is sin in homosexuality and why that why that is so problematic for so many people. but that's another another discussion. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my
1: <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this a, a couple of months ago about just what you had said that. I think it's in it's in corinthians or one of the timothy books i forget which one but there's one of the go-to verses for like of of the clobber passages but right in that same book there's uh paul talks about um like you said head coverings and there's also about some different eating things like with shellfish and it's like well why why is it that we become bible scholars when it comes to you know putting in context (laughs) about a head covering but yet in the very next chapter 're just going to read this one verse at face value and we're just right. going to move on like it doesn't make any sense it seems like right. a,
0: exactly and and also too um, when we look at scriptures in general where there are uh, 31102 verses in the Bible right and, and there are seven total scriptures I mean that's a couple verses each but sure. seven scriptures that are cited out of 31,000 verses. Um, and and so and also the fact and that, that Jesus did not address or yep. homosexuality. Right. he he talked about a heck of a lot of other things that we need to really take a look at and that you know or other sins, but he did not speak or address homosexuality. homosexuality. And, yeah. Uh, so that's. another point that i often bring up and that does make a difference that he did not spend that time to to do that and to condemn so
1: yeah and it's super problematic like they said like that there's so many verses in the bible but yet we take these six and with these six we build this entire theology that literally outcasts and shames an entire community of people and i think like how what in my mind like what to say it bluntly like what worst way to use the bible Than to take those six verses to outcast so many people.
0: Right, right. And then also in taking a look, you know, when with policing sin. why do we even, I mean, I've, I've said this about all kinds of sin, but particularly you know, the, the view of homosexuality. Sure. Why do we spend, as Christians, why do we spend so much time um, policing sin, other people's sin? You know, we have enough uh, to police our own sin and to, you know, to take care of our own inner, inner lives and outer lives. That Why do we put that kind of energy and time into policing others, particularly when we're looking at, at homosexuality?
1: Yeah. I think that the command to love my neighbor as myself is going to keep me busy for the rest of my life. Right?
2: Yes. Right. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, in the book, one of the points you make is that uh, someone cannot choose their sexual orientation. And uh, you have this really great quote that I want to read real quick for our listeners, but you say, uh, it is careless to accuse gays of choosing their path of orientation. What is being implied is that they are naturally wired to be straight but are making the conscious decision to act in direct opposition to this, that would be charging them with the most profound emotional treason. Uh, Can you talk to us more about, about this? Because that's one of the the biggest arguments I hear from people uh, who are, are opposed to the LGBTQ community Uh, you know, all about the clobber versus yes. But one of the biggest arguments is that everyone is born straight, like straight is normal straight is God's intention uh, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I hear that a lot. Uh, no one is born gay, and therefore, gay people are simply rebelling and choosing to be something different than who they're created to be. So maybe you could share some more of your thoughts on this, because I literally had this dialogue with somebody on Facebook just a couple weeks ago. So maybe you can uh, provide some more more insight for us.
0: Okay. okay, no, that's great. I'm glad you brought this up and you just gave a great summary of some of the issues around that. Um, is, that is that, first of all, if someone or um, has or believes, they have the authority to determine what sexual orientation is um, or that they know enough of, about the psychology and the biology behind it that they can go ahead and make that determination when there are over a hundred theories Around what causes homosexuality or sexual orientation, and um, there's no there's no complete agreement on it from from the quote experts mm. and. Well, how someone can sit and say, "Okay, I am expert enough. I know enough based on any scriptures I've read and and what I know in my life that I can determine that it's a choice. First of all, I I will say, you know, and I'll say this humbly, that there's arrogance to that statement, Mm. that, that someone knows that much that they're able to determine that. And then the the and the next question on that is when you look at when you look at sexual orientation and um, you're trying to say that someone chooses to be homosexual and that it first of all um, you you can't choose your your sexual orientation just like mm. when. If you're heterosexual you know was there ever a time that you woke up one morning and just said i'm choosing to be heterosexual
1: never yeah.
0: people, i know that people are saying yes it's the norm well yes it's about 90 percent of the population so it is a majority mm-hmm. but it's not the norm for the, the person that is not is not heterosexual mm-hmm. but making making that decision to say that it's a it's a choice um also who And I know that you've heard this argument as well why would someone choose to quote rebel and be be gay or you know gay or lesbian and uh, choose that alienation choose that rejection choose that condemnation Um, and instead what you hear from so many people and I have quotes in my in my book about this you hear about so many people that try to rid themselves of homosexuality or to say, gee, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel this way or be attracted to the same sex hmm. and, and they're not able to change that. And yet they have people around them that say, oh yeah, just with the flip of a switch, you can change it. Yeah. And that's in a, in a sense, and the quote that you gave me from my book just a few minutes ago, in a sense, that's that's a form of abuse. To, to hmm someone over the head and say okay change this and if you don't um, then we condemn you and um and you possibly are going to hell. and that's just that's just so sad and it's something that i do bring out in the book and and i bring in voices out of several who have been impacted by this
1: yeah i have a, I have a friend who actually said to me she's a she's a lesbian and she said to me no i she's like don't take this wrong but she said i wouldn't wish on my best friend that they were gay, just because of, not because I'm not proud of who I am, but just because sure. I know the difficult road and journey it is to travel, to travel that, to walk that road, I know how difficult it can be.
0: Sure, um, sure, no, a- absolutely. And, and also um, is that some, some people who, who make this statement that no one is born gay or that you choose it, um, they, they're mixing up the fact that you can choose behavior but you can't choose orientation, mm. like, like so. So when when you hear about different you know uh, people who have gone through conversion therapy, um, and uh, some some Christians and that that say, okay, um, I'm no longer gay. I chose not to be. Um, we don't know for a fact, and again, that's their testimony. But if they, believe, it, it could be they've changed their behavior. They're not engaging in same sex sexual behavior, um, or they could have been bisexual, which is a whole, a whole other um, issue as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so it's, it, this whole thing is way oversimplified. And that's why I spend a full chapter in my book talking about sexual orientation, and the science and the psychology behind it. And then also looking at the, the spirituality behind it as well.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's a good point. I mean, in, in the conversation I had with this person a couple of weeks ago, one of the things I said, which was from your book is that like the thing I think you're not seeing is that being gay is not just, it's not, it's not simply like a, a sex act. Like you're narrowing it down to this sexual act when in reality, it's the biological orientation of this person. And I tried to tell them like, like you had said like, okay, well, you're heterosexual. There was not a time in your life when you just woke up one day and said, you know what, Am I going to be, am I going to be homosexual or heterosexual? I think I'm going to be heterosexual. Like you never had that, like that debate in your mind. So why would you think that someone who's gay is having that debate in their mind? Right,
0: right, exactly exactly and, and also taking a look at just attraction in general hmm. uh, is that you can't decide um, or, or i challenge anyone that's listening is it you can't decide that um, i'm going to be attracted to this person or some all people who are blonde or all people who are of this height or, or i'm just talking of generic sure, sure none of us chooses our attractions Mm. Uh, or it, and, and that's actually a lot of love songs are based on the fact that there's a mystery behind why people fall in love, why they are attracted to certain to certain people. And it's not something that we can just up and choose whether you're heterosexual, whether you're whether you're homosexual, you you don't choose who you're who you're attracted to. And that means even emotionally attracted to it can be sexually attracted to. And um, it's just something that that you could choose whether you act on it on how you get involved or not. but as far as that orientation itself, and it's more than like you said, much more than just sex. Yeah. It's, it's also your 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 affiliation emotionally and even spiritually as well with someone.
1: So what are some maybe uh, suggestions or like recommendations that you would have for, Uh, allies who are listening, who kind of find themselves in these frequent dialogues with people, whether it be in person or on social media, like these, because these conversations, as you obviously know, tend to be very, very heated. I'm I'm in them quite often, but especially when they do take place in an online forum like Facebook, but as somebody who works in the world where like you help people address these kinds of things, what, what insights can you share uh, with allies today on how to best maybe approach or, or talk to someone who sees this issue very differently than they do
0: okay. uh, that that's that's a great question and and also a, a large part of what my book um, does address especially the last chapter is is first of all i think what we're dealing with um, in general is the fact that people aren't comfortable with others that they disagree with
2: yeah. and that's
0: one of the major underlying problems and that we can talk about politically right now which i'm mm go into um, but but in general uh christians particularly as well um, they're uncomfortable with disagreement
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um and so so if if you look at someone else who you disagree with what are you going to do with that and how how do you hold space for disagreement and that's why some of my work is so devoted to being able to talk across disagreement. Um, What I provided in my university classroom across all kinds of issues um, was a safe space, but I was able to control that because I was a professor, but a safe space to to either agree or to disagree, um, to be able to hear all kinds of issues as long as there's no personal attack. Mm. And um, there aren't too many spaces that we can do that in um here in in our in our lives in general so a big part of it is looking at how to have conversations without slamming each other over the head yeah and so if Mm -hmm. if you're with someone and you're talking here that sometimes you've had i have as well but heated debate um we have to look at what is the, the purpose of the dialogue? Where, where are we heading with it? Um, are we trying to convince someone to see it our way, you know, even, you know, that, or, or, um, to change what what they're doing. And so part of it depends on someone's motivation when they're in the midst of a heated conversation, Are are they looking for acceptance, which everybody has the right to is acceptance. Mm. Uh, And what so 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 big part of it? I mean, I guess you could even ask me maybe a specific question on where someone is when they're having this disagreement and what they want to do to resolve that. You know, if you're on Facebook, if you're in person, if you're across the dining room table with family at you know at the holidays. So actually, I guess I'll kind of throw that back to you, if you don't mind um, asking to to give like a specific example. And I could kind of say how I would advise to go about um, either having that dialogue or at least having some kind of um, safety around it.
1: Yeah, sure. So I had, I'll give you the first one that comes to my mind was probably more of a, uh, I'd say like a heated debate <laughs> that happened about a year ago <laughs> on Facebook. And a lot of people started chiming in. It was one of those posts that ended up with like 400 comments because everybody was just chiming in. And there was this one person who came on and he, he was, he's super conservative, um, very Southern Baptist, like that kind of mentality. And he had all the clover verses and he knew them like by heart. And I was trying to explain to him, you know, that I understand what your club reverses are. I I know what they say because I've memorized them since I was since I was a kid. They were ingrained in my head. But kind of what you were saying, there's context behind it. We have to understand the context. Now trying to explain some of the the Greek words and things like that. So this person said to me, well, my Bible is written in English. It's not written in Greek. I don't really care what the Greek says. <laughs> it, was, it was actually translated from the Greek into your English Bible. And he had you know the King James and stuff like that. So it just felt like this conversation was going nowhere. And I think, like you said, I had to pause and ask myself, what is the ultimate goal of this conversation? And that kind of helped me I guess, going forward and how I was going to respond to this person. So yeah, I'll throw that back at you. And I'll let you tell me what, what you think of, <laughs> of what, of how you would have handled it. <laughs> <laughs> Admittingly, I didn't that. handle it very well. I'll be honest with you. Kim.
0: <laughs> well, and, and not to tell you, you know, do this, don't do this or whatever, <laughs> or now in past tense, but, but you no, know, um, obviously, all of this happens often you know over social media yeah in general um, and what I find is I choose my battles and, um, it, and often I don't battle over Facebook and I don't even really battle um, but but if someone has a, a distinct um, absolute, belief that it is sin and here are these six or seven scriptures that that say it and this is what my bible says and this is what god says well you know really bottom line glenn um there's no arguing with that Mm -hmm. and i bring that out out in my book is that okay all right this is how you interpret those scriptures um but we do live in a country to uh, that does say okay first of all um we have this basic human right we all do to live and love as we choose yeah and if you're if you're arguing and this person on facebook anyone else that um i as someone who is gay or lesbian um doesn't have that right that human right that's actually written into our our constitution bill of rights um to live and love as i choose um then you know, then we really don't have that much to talk about. I mean, that's a basic bottom line premise is is respect. Um, And okay. And even if you believe that I'm going to hell, um, I'm going to use myself as an example. And this is how you interpret. Then another thing that I say, and very kindly, very gently, is that I don't live my life according to your interpretation of the Bible any more than you live your life. By my interpretation. Hmm. And so each one of us, you know, has to come before our Lord or God or Jesus, or how we view this and decide, you know, where we're at in that relationship and how we interpret these scriptures. And we each then stand before God one day, and we all have to, to do that on an individual basis. And so, hmm. so that's, that's something that that I talk about. And then also if we're looking at why would someone want to invalidate someone's relationships or someone's marriage, um, because of their scriptural belief, ba- you know, uh, based against homosexuality, what's going on for those people that are doing that kind of condemning. Yeah. What's in their hearts. What's, what's happening for them that they feel the need to pound that in, um, you know, to people or specifically, you know, someone who's gay or lesbian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really good. One of the things that your book actually helped me with is when I get into these conversations more recently, it's kind of almost saying to the person up front, especially if it is online, like saying like, Hey, I can see right off the bat that we disagree greatly on how we understand this quote issue. Uh, But if you're interested in just debating, like I'm not the person who I'm going to do that with you. Like, it's just not my My thing, I'm not really interested. But if you want to actually have a a dialogue about it, where I can most likely learn from you and how you understand the issue, and maybe you can also learn from me how I understand it. And perhaps we can kind of meet somewhere in the middle, because kind of one of the phrases I've recently adopted is that, you know, we might not be able to see eye to eye on an issue, but we can still move forward, I would hope, arm in arm in advancing the, the love of Christ in the world. And I think that especially when it comes to this issue, like whatever you think of LGBTQ inclusion, like LGBTQ people are still people and they still ought to be, they deserve the love of God that we have to give them through Christ living in us.
0: And, and you know what, Glenn, that was beautifully, beautifully expressed. Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. Your book helped me, <laughs> help me articulate that in my head. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Yes, and, and exactly, and that's it, that's what it does come down to. And and when I when I write in my book about what can we do, you know, about all this and how do we handle this disagreement, yeah. you know, I I talk about you know um, not placing homosexuality at the top of a hierarchy. Mm. I talk, I talk about looking at scriptures, those seven, six, seven scriptures. I talk about policing our own sin, not mm. others, and I talk about a bottom line: doing no harm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Doing no harm. And, right. uh, and that, in, that includes then being compassionate, empathetic, and, um, and, and modeling after Christ, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah you're right. Mm-hmm. Something <laughs> else you said too earlier is like we, we don't in the church do very well in talking to people who disagree mm-hmm. with us. And this was something that I realized when I started the podcast because, like, going through Bible college, I got my master's, then I got my DMIN at the same seminary. And like, when I came out of seminary, I realized like, I can probably defend what I believe pretty well, but I can't really communicate very well, or I should say, have a discussion with somebody very well who thinks very differently than I do. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was an art, so to speak, that I really had to almost teach myself. And that even having this podcast has really helped me with, because I bring people on who have drastically different thoughts about different issues than I do. And for a while, like in my spirit, I would feel like, oh, I need to push back on that. you know. but that was like that defense mechanism that has been ingrained in me since I was a kid. But now just having the ability to kind of stop and really try to learn from the other person and, you know, their perspective, as different as it might be, might actually just enhance my own perspective and give me a different uh, way to look at it. So
0: Absolutely. it's really
1: important. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. Because we can learn from each other and yeah. then through disagreement, we can find common ground and we can say, okay, can we at least be on this, you know, on basic human rights or on basic compassion and how we should treat each other. Um, and, and then, you know, move out from there on, on our discussion. And you, you, you know, have just, again, summarized it beautifully. So I, I'm with you on everything you just said, and I know we're getting ready here to, to probably wrap up, but, but um, it's, this has just been a, a delight talking with you, and I, I hope that any of your listeners are, you know, getting something out of this, and not, not to take the next step myself here, but also <laughs> to say that if anyone um, does want to have further discussion or find out, you know, more about my services on this, on how to talk across differences or dialoguing or conflict resolution... Um, I I can be reached at intercultural solutions, www.interculturalsolutions.net just to put that out there as well.
1: Awesome. I will put the link to that and also your book uh, in the show notes for people so they can go and they can find it easily. Okay, great. Yeah, because I I think your work is really valuable in many areas, but particularly that area, because like we just said, like we just don't do well in how to talk to people who are different than us, but that's really what your work focuses on. So, I think it's really important and really unique uh, in the world. So thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you, Glenn. I, I truly appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Awesome. You're welcome. Well, we are just about out of time, so that was a good, <laughs> a good. <segue laughs> I, I
0: know I yeah.
1: I kind of passed the ball over to you, and you, you closed <laughs> it out for us. So <laughs> thank you. But maybe yeah. we could do this again sometime because I definitely yeah. have some more questions yeah. for you.
0: Truly, I, I would enjoy that. And, and again, the best to you, and and the best to all your all of your listeners.
1: Thank you, Kim. I appreciate that. You have a great day.
0: Hey, okay. you too. Take care.
1: bye.
2: Bye
0: bye.